All right, don't be seated. I know it's normal. I I know I got some of you, you were like almost there, right? So Pastor Mark, uh, maybe introduced to you, maybe you knew it before, but he played a song last week, and he's asked me that we sing this kind of as a, a praise chorus, right? That's what they used to do in like the 90s and early 2000s before the modern worship movement happened, right? And so we're going to sing this song. It's called Sometimes by Step by Rich Mullins. Amy, if you could put the, the lyrics up and we'll just sing this. I'm going to sing it with you the first time and the second time. Go ahead and, and sing it out. And those of you that really know it should sing louder so that the people who don't know it don't feel as bad for not knowing it. <laughs> just kidding. All right, so here we go. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you, and I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways and step by step you'll lead me and I will follow you all of my days okay your turn oh God Thanks so much. Please be seated. That brings back a lot of memories for Sue and I as that song was popular in the 90s and we were planting uh, churches and uh, I was the worship leader because I could play a little guitar and Sue could play the keyboards and uh, before we reached anybody that could play the guitar and drums it was just her and I and uh, we uh, were singing that song quite frequently. Thank you for bringing back a good memory for me. But the truth of that song as well Uh, step by step everything in life is step by step that we learn we don't learn in leaps and bounds we just don't everything is step by step Um, that's actually a good thing because there are many things in life that can intimidate us because there's so much for us to learn Um, uh, you may uh, graduate from high school and want to be a lawyer and you can imagine I've got to go to school and I got to go to law school and there's just so much I don't know but you don't have to worry about all that because the only thing you have to do is go your first year of college or your first semester of college and then your second semester and then your third and your fourth and you graduate from college and you got law school and all these people are going to be no you just have to go your first class in law school and your second class and you just have to worry about the steps that are right in front of you Many of us fear are so fearful of the future because there's so much out there that we have to do or change about our lives, but you don't have to worry about that. I don't think you have to worry about the step that's right in front of you. That's all you have to worry about. And so many people are anxiety-ridden about things that will happen and what will happen and that will happen and there's no telling what that. 
Yeah, maybe, but the only thing you have to worry about is, is just what's right in front of you. That's the only step you have to take right now. I mentioned, uh, I think last week, I mentioned the name Jason Bronk, and I, I, I mentioned it under, you know, it's not that we're just supposed to love our fellow man in a very generic way. We have to love one another, and that means loving the person that happens to be right in front of you. And for whatever reason, right in front of me right now is Jason Bronk, and he's homeless guy at Kinsey, and, and we're helping him as a church, and, but there's so much that needs to change in Jason's life, and and if we looked at a lot of that, we would just throw our hands up and say, man, I don't, like, there's just, man, I don't know. But we just have to take, we have to break it down into steps. And step by step, things can happen for Jason if, if he'll cooperate with us. So pray for us as we try to, try to help Jason. Some of you have been through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, and he's got uh, baby steps. He calls them baby steps. <laughs> sometimes people's finances are in such a mess i mean it's just intimidating the credit card debt mounted uh piled up and up and and you owe oh, this and that and there's no money in the bank and, and you owe more than you make and da 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 and it just it's overwhelming it's a mountain and so ramsey talks about baby steps the baby step number one, if you follow his program, is to save $1,000 for an emergency fund. It's baby step number one. Baby step number two is start working on your debt. And you start working with the smallest debt, not the largest. The smallest debt, he says, because he wants you to see progress being made as you take those steps. All of life is step by step. Life is not leaps and bounds. Now, I've got to say this because uh, I don't want anybody to misunderstand Getting saved is not step by step. It's not like, well, I'm working on it and, uh, and I'm trying to. And uh, No, getting saved is a matter of yes or no, saying a yes to God or a no to God. But there are uh, thousands of steps that lead up to that point of decision and point of being born again. No atheist ever walks into this church, an atheist, and gets saved on a Sunday morning service. That, uh, just, it just doesn't happen. You don't go from a mentality of not believing in God to then accepting Jesus Christ. I mean, there's gobs of steps that have to happen but that last step is not something you work up to it's just a yes or no that you say to God through the person of, of Jesus Christ so step by step we all understand that some of you may know as we talked about last week you you may know what next step that God wants you to take we talked last week and I listed verses that said next steps are biblical and we I talked about how the Bible talks about babes in Christ, uses that expression, babes in Christ or infants in Christ. The Bible talks about growing up as a Christian. I hope you know that. I hope you know this Christian life is not about being saved. Well, it is about being saved, but it's not about being saved. You know what I mean? It, You've got to get saved, but then you've, the whole Word of God talks about then you grow up as a Christian. Then you grow up. What are you doing by coming to church today, you Christian, that you know you've been saved? Are you trying to keep being saved, to come to church today? Are you trying to grow up to maturity in Christ? I, that's what the Bible lays down for every single one of us. We said the next steps were normal. We said the next steps were not automatic. We're not automatic. Uh, we, we all know lots of people that have just not grown up, right? 
Um, I have to point things out to Jason Brunk because he never had a daddy to point them out to him. Things that I point out to my 12, to when my boys were 10 and 12. He never had a daddy to point those things out to him. He had a daddy, but not a daddy that did that kind of stuff. Growing up is not automatic. It just doesn't happen because my heart beats. We quoted a verse from Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews says, By now you ought to be teachers. So the writer was a little perturbed and said, By now you ought to be farther along down this path than you are. But you still need someone to teach to you, the verse says, the elementary truths of God's word. You need milk, the verse said, not solid food. They've never gone past the infant stage of needing milk, is what the writer was saying. Growing up is not automatic. Growing up is a decision to grow. Is a decision to decide to want to grow, to decide to grow, to take steps to grow, to persist in growing. It's not automatic. And then we said the last step is not, the, the steps, next steps are not taken alone. It's much easier to take the steps together. In anything in life, it's much easier to do it together, positive things or negative things. Uh, as a teenager, when you did dumb stuff as teenagers, you didn't do those by yourself. <laughs> uh, I can remember being, I don't know how old I was, but I was in the 67, I was in Chuck Mattingly's 67 Chevelle Malibu. And by some way, they dared me to get on the hood of that car as they were going 60 miles an hour down a residential street in Lexington, Kentucky. And I was holding on for dear life. Never underestimate the stupidity of males. <laughs> Never. Of, of testosterone-driven males to do things dumb in groups. Amen. I know it. <laughs> so we do things, it's easier to do things together, whether those are positive things or negative things. And through the church of Jesus Christ, it's easier to be on the same road with everybody else when, when a group is in on it. Now, you may know the next step that God wants for you, and that could be myriad of next steps. Uh, maybe you need to, to, I'm just bringing one out of nowhere. Uh, maybe you, you feel like you just need to be a better spouse, a better listener, a better something. I don't, I don't know what it is. All those, those are spiritual steps. Being a better spouse is a very spiritual step. There, there's, there could be hundreds of steps that you can take, and, I, and I'm obviously going to list some for you and and they may not be the steps that you personally need to take but they're as i pastor now for 27 years they're common denominator steps that i that i see all christians somewhere have to take and you you may find yourself uh in this boat and need to take this step that i'm going to talk about today maybe you've already taken that step but i know the holy spirit is talking to you about another step that you need to take
as we get farther along in this series, I'm going to talk about the, the step in being in a smaller group of people, Sunday school class, a small group. Those kind of got laid by the wayside with COVID. I understand that. I appreciate that. I respect that. And some groups didn't know if they could meet or not because some people didn't want to meet. Some people didn't want to meet. Mask, no mask. That got really weird, didn't it? I know, I know all that. I understand that. And so some of our groups haven't been meeting. The next step for you may be to get that group back together. Well, some people want what just you have to do what the majority of the group wants to do. You can't please everybody. I don't know what it is, what the Holy Spirit has been talking to you about a next step, but I am going to suggest some as common denominator steps that I see everyone needs to take. And a crucial step, it's not the number one step. I'm not going to list it as the most important step. It's just the first one that came to my mind, okay? So this is not the number one step or the most important step or the one you've got to take. But before all the way, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's a step. I'm just saying it's a step that everyone's got to take. Somewhere baby Christians. Somewhere, if they're going to grow, you've got to step into God's word. You, you have to step into the truth of God's word. You will not grow as a Christian without a consistent interaction with the word of God. You just won't. You just, you just won't. And things that don't grow shrivel up and die. You know that to be true. Things that don't grow, they shrivel up and they die. The next step for some of you, whether you're a baby Christian, a five-year-old Christian, or wherever, is a consistent interaction, a regular interaction with God's Word. What are you saying, Mark? You're saying that everybody's got to get up at six and do devotion. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying a consistent interaction with God's Word, however that works best for you. What up? What, how stupid it would be for me to say, you've got to do this at this time and this way. And Come on. A consistent interaction with the Word of God. You will not grow. And, and can I say this? It's more than Sunday morning. That's not consistent and that's not regular. Well, it's every Sunday. That's not what I mean. A consistent, regular interaction with God's Word is absolutely invaluable to your growth as a Christian. Some of you remember the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Some of you won't. And, and may, I, may I summarize it to say that the, the children of Israel, God's people were exiled and they were uh, taken into captivity by uh, people that had conquered them. And so they were not occupying the city of Jerusalem, which is their home, it's their place. And for 70 years they had been in exile. And Nehemiah decided to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. The walls of the city of Jerusalem were the sign of Jerusalem. They fortified the city. And so if you read the book, it's a, it's a fabulous read. I mean, it's a really... A, go sit down this afternoon. Uh, and it's, it, uh, it's a fabulous read to, to just to read the story of how Israel rebuilt the walls of the city. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah led them through that. 
And so they rebuilt the walls of, of the city and people were coming back after being exiled for so long and the, 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 the walls were rebuilt and it was a source of pride for the people. And Ezra was a scribe. That means he was something of a theologian or a pastor. Or, and he was a scribe and as the people came back, he stood in Nehemiah chapter 8 and read uh, the book of the law. Now listen, these people haven't heard the book of the law for 70 years. They don't go to their local Christian bookstore and pick up a copy. These people hadn't heard God's word for 70 years. We can't relate to that at all. We can't relate. But that they had never heard a priest stand and read the book of the law. And that happened. And can you imagine the excitement and, and the feelings that it would have been that day? Imagine, imagine, you know, back in 74 and when we lost our church, we met in Bellbrook High School for a couple of years as they rebuilt here. Can you imagine us today and a tornado comes through and, and levels this place and so we go, we go meet at Xenia High School or wherever we go meet for two years and finally this place is done and we have rebuilt this place and we have not let the tornado defeat us and we come back into this place and we worship again and can you imagine the spirit that day can you imagine that and even add to that the fact that we will we would have been hearing the word of god through our two-year exile in in bellbrook high school or whatever it would have been but they hadn't heard the word of god so they come back to a rebuilt city with walls there and and ezra stands and reads the word of god we can't even imagine how what a dramatic event this was and in nehemiah chapter 8 says the people came together as one in the square before the water gate, one of the gates in the walls. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Israel, the priests brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So for whatever reason, meant the kids probably weren't there, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till, dune as he, till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women who could understand. Next slide. Ezra opened the book. Next slide. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. So he was on some elevated structure. You wonder why you go to some churches and the pulpit is way up high, uh, high churches that are very formal and very realist, uh, very ritualistic, you'll have to step up into the pulpit. It's a very literal interpretation of the way it was in the Old Testament. So he was standing above them as he opened it, and all the people stood up. Again, very formal churches. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with this. But in a lot of churches today, when the pastor stood to read the readings for the day, they, they would say this, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Right, Harold? Now, that's a, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's not our practice here, and that's okay. I can, you know, because I kind of read scripture all the way through, you, you're going to stand at the start, but you don't stand in the middle. I kinda, that kind of seems weird to me. But lots of churches this morning, they said, would you stand for the reading of God's word? That's out of reverence for the word of God. And that comes straight from the Bible. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen, and they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces 
to the ground. The Levites, and that was the priests, and then there's a whole bunch of names there, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for the people have been weeping as they finally, after 70 years, were hearing the word of God read to them. I don't think there's a single one of us that totally understands what we've got a hold of. And the reason we don't understand that, because it's available everywhere. We can go to the Christian bookstore and and choose from a hundred different Bibles there in in, in seven or eight different translations and da-da-da and da-da-da. Things that are precious, things that are extremely valuable, you usually don't see them everywhere. But we see Bibles everywhere. So I think we lose some of the preciousness of this. It was not that way back in this time. I just wonder, do we really believe about God's Word, what God's Word says about it? Because in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says about itself that all Scripture is God-breathed. Some translations will say inspired, the most literal way that you can transfer, that you can translate the Greek word there is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, what does that mean? I I don't really know for sure. Uh, Paul was writing this. This is Timothy, and so Paul was writing this. I don't think Paul shut off his brain and God put him into some kind of a coma and just let him write. I think God used his brain, used Paul's intellect. But Paul wrote these, and as Paul was writing them, he says, I'm writing God-breathed words. Uh, Every funeral that I ever do, I read that scripture before I read all the others. Now, may I say that I would wager to say that 99.9% of funerals, that verse is not read. At funeral, you read verses of comfort and verses of encouragement. But you see, I have to, in my opinion, I have to read that verse before I read the other because that verse, that verse makes the others mean something. Without that verse, this is just kind of nice words that somebody wrote. It's kind of like nice poetry or prose. That verse changes these words. Anybody could come up with some writing and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, anybody, I mean, we've got a brain, you can come up with some kind of little writing and write some things. And they may inspire you, they may give you goosebumps. You may think, well, that was nice, kind of like when you read poetry. But do we believe what God's Word says about itself? These are God-breathed words. Now, there's, there, there's, there's a majority of the people in this world that will say poppycock to that. They, they will say that's about the most ludicrous thing that you could hear. They have respect for the Bible because of what they'll say. There's a lot of good teaching in the Bible. And their, their definition of good teaching 
It's what they think good teaching is. So they're Lord over the Scripture. Well, this is good. This is not good. This is good. This, how, do you, how do you interact with the Bible that way? And they certainly don't breathe, believe they're God-breathed words. They certainly don't believe it's God's Word. But for you to grow as a Christian, you have got to step into God's Word, and you've got to come and pay attention to it and heed, heed it as it is what it says it is, the very Word of God. Now, I don't have all the answers to that and all the questions that people may have. I don't have all the answers to that, but I've just made a decision in my life to accept it as God's word. Well, what about this, Mark? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that answer, and, and I really don't, but I, by faith, I've made this decision. Billy Graham was starting his ministry, and he had a cohort in ministry that was very skeptical of the authenticity of the Bible and And so because of this friend was firing a lot of questions at Billy Graham that Billy Graham couldn't answer, he was kind of struggling himself with the authority of God's word. And Billy Graham writes that he went to California and <clears throat> went up on some mountaintop retreat and battled it out with God. And he said he got on his knees and basically in some kind of words told God that I'm taking this as your word. I'm taking it by faith, and I'm going to preach it as God's word to man. He had to come to that decision himself. Why would I waste my time? I mean, well, I might, I might, let's be honest. I could waste my time coming here Sunday morning and preaching to you because you pay me to do it. Let's be honest with that. But why would you waste your time? For you to come and hear just regular words that somebody wrote. Why would you do that 2,000 years ago? I mean, why would you waste your time? I mean, don't you have better things to do on Sunday morning than that? Then go hit, listen to somebody's opinion? Because let me tell you, there's, there's as many different opinions as we have people in here. There has to be a step in your Christian life when you accept this word for what this word says it is. If you want this word to do something in you and that you would grow up as a Christian, you must receive it as God-breathed words. First Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, they say this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy... Peter continues, never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though they were human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Though prophets, though they were human, spoke words from God. How do you know that words from God? Well, we could, we could take hours and we could tell you all reasons to believe that the Bible is God's word, and that's probably something good to do one day. But Suffice it to say, there's never been a text in the history of mankind that have transformed so many people than this text is. There's never been a text that's been more hated and has been tried to be stamped out more than that this text, though it is alive and well in 2022. With all the efforts to stamp it out. There's never, ever a text like this. 
There, there, there's never been any fragments of the Old Testament manuscripts that have been found in caves somewhere that have ever disagreed and, and, and made us think that what we have here is not the very Word of God. Now, it's, it's a step you have to take. And, I, you know, and we have learned people with a whole lot of PhDs behind their names that know more about all this than I do, and they'll say, well, this part is this part's legitimate, but this part is not legitimate, and this part is legitimate, and this part is not legitimate. So they're Lord over the text. They're choosing. Friends, there has to come a time, and this is a, a step that follows from just stepping into the truth of God's Word. There has to become a time where, where, where you have to decide who or what is the final authority in your life. You, 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 you have to come to that and decide that who or what is the final authority in your life. Amy, would you put that slide up, please? The final authority in your life can be boiled down into three different groups. You can be the final authority in your life and what you think and what your gut says. And, 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 and you can be the final authority of your life. You can allow, you can allow um, your peers or, or the world or the prevailing wisdom of the day to be the final authority of your life. There are lots of that would come under that. Your, your, your own opinion, the, the prevailing wisdom of the day, or you can say that God's Word is the final authority of your life. Now, when we talk about final authority, we're, you got to use your head here. We're, you know, we're not talking about God's Word doesn't speak to a lot of things. God's Word doesn't, doesn't tell you how to hang drywall, okay? Well, if, if I'm going to learn how to hang drywall, uh, then David Pippin is going to be the final authority in my life. But on matters of faith and practice, on matters that the Bible speaks to, what is the final authority in your life? And if you accept this as the word of God, God-breathed words, it logically flows that if it is God-breathed words, friends, it must be the final authority in your life or you are not a thinking person. God has said something, but you won't allow it to be the final authority in your life. That doesn't flow logically. It's got to be a step that you take. Who or what will be the final authority in my life? I can make my own choices. I can make my own decisions. Absolutely can. I'd fight for your right to be able to do that. The world and the prevailing wisdom of the day, some of us good, some of us not good, that could be the final authority. But on matters of faith and practice, on matters that the Bible speaks to, if you receive God's word for what it is, it must be the final authority. On how to raise a family, the Bible speaks in some areas there, and the Bible has to be the final authority. The Bible doesn't answer every single question on what to do with your kids and all of that. Of course it doesn't, but there's some it does. And in those areas, it has to be the final authority. Not you, not the prevailing wisdom of the day, not the school system, and I'm not putting down the school system. I'm just saying, what's the final authority of your life? Hmm. 
Peter talks about in 1 Peter, he talks about the authority of God's word. He says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. How did you get born again? Well, you, that was by the Holy Spirit, but how did you even know what born again meant and what did it mean to accept Christ and forgiveness of your sins? You knew that through the reading and the hearing and the preaching of God's Word. That just didn't come out of midair to you somewhere. You, you heard it from a preacher. You heard it on the radio. You read it yourself. You read it in a book. You heard your Sunday school teacher. Peter continues in the 25th verse, and Peter says, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this was the word that was preached to you. <clears throat> this is the authority of God's word. Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 24, he says, the heaven and earth, they will pass away. Jesus saying this, excuse me, but my words will never pass away. I really like 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes to the church that met at Thessalonica. He says, and we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God. He says, I'm complimenting you. He's praising that church. He says, because you just didn't receive it like it was from me you didn't come and pat me on the back and say, what a good word that you gave us. You received it as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who will believe. Now, the word of God is not magical. It's not like some pill you take and everything gets better. The word of God must be, so I, I just don't go home and I read it and all of a sudden, that's like magic, and my life gets all better. No, I've got to read it. I've got to understand it. I've got to believe it. I've got to obey it. I've got to adhere myself to it. It's not magic. I've got to take this Word of God. It's got to be understood, and then it's got to be applied to my life. It's at work, Paul says. It's at work in you who believe. The picture is of, of God's Word actually with energy and working in you who believe. So an atheist comes who's staunch in his atheism and, and reads this, and he goes, huh, there's nothing there. Well, of course there's nothing there. They don't believe. There's no spiritual stuff going on. They're no to God. They've got, to, they've got their hands up, and they say no. But us who have taken steps by faith, Paul says it's at work in those who believe. Who's the final authority in your life? Several years ago, Oprah Winfrey was interviewing T.D. Jakes, and he's a pastor at a large church in Dallas. And she asked T.D. what his opinion of homosexuality was. He gave a good response. He really did. And it's, I got it up here for you. I'm not called to give my opinion I'm not called as a pastor to preach what I think. I only get to say what the Bible says. Good answer. Who gives a rip what T.D. Jakes thinks? Who cares? Has he got some corner on life that you don't have? 
Has he got some understanding about life and got some, some, some pathway to God that you don't have? Who cares what T.D. Jakes thinks? It's what he preaches that matters. And he says, you know, I'm not, I'm not called to give you my opinion. I'm not called as a pastor to preach what I think, even though we hear that in a lot of pulpits today. I'm called to tell you what the Bible says. Friends, you like me or you hate me, you have to say that I preach the Word of God to you. You have to say that. I don't tell you what I, I, I have nothing to offer you. I have not one thing to offer you. Well, you've got a master's degree. Who gives a rip? I've got nothing to offer you unless I preach and teach God's Word. I'm just a guy that was on a hood of a car going 60 miles an hour down Pine Bloom Drive. What's the final authority in your life? What, what do you use to make decisions in your life? Is it you? Is it the prevailing wisdom of the day? Is it God's word? I know God's word doesn't speak to everything. I know it doesn't. But on matters of faith and practice of faith, what's the final authority in your life? Well, I can't finish this sermon without being able to say this because the Bible shouts this. And in several different places. But the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Now, remember what Hebrews says. Hebrews 11 says, you can't please God except through faith. You can't please Him except you're doing something by faith in Him. You know, I think that's why he doesn't give too much of a rip that, that we come to church, you know, if that's all we're doing. Because it doesn't take any faith to drive to the parking lot and get out of church and come here. It takes faith to practice what was preached here. I think the devil's not been out of shape at all that we gather together. <laughs> but what he gets been out of shape is in the scattering when people work out their faith. That's what bothers the devil. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. The Bible says, Romans 10, 17 says that. Amy, you got that? Consequently, faith, Paul writes, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, in my preparation for this message, I found something today that I just started, I didn't find it today, I found it this week as I was preparing, and, and I've never had this thought in my life. This is not an original thought, what I'm getting ready to show you. It's not an original thought. But I, but I wish it was because it's just so common sense, but I've never, I've never thought it before. Remember, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Now, I failed to write down who wrote this, but I'll just say it's not mine, okay? I'm not smart enough to come up with this. The, what I have up here, the quote that I have up here is the fuel of our faith, excuse me, the fuel of our lives isn't faith. The fuel is God's word, which gives us faith. Faith comes by hearing. 
The fuel of our Christian life is not faith. It's God's word, which then gives us faith, if you believe the Bible. Now, I've, I've never had that thought in my life, but that, that is absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And it's not just any words. It's, it's the message that's important. You can hear in a lot of different ways. You can hear on a Sunday morning. You can hear as you read yourself. You can hear riding in the car listening to your radio. You can hear on your computer as you listen to a message or messages on the computer. You can hear as you read a book. You can hear a lot of different ways. The ear part of it is not the issue. The issue is the message. It's the message that you hear. <clears throat> and Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, this is what I received and what I passed on to you. You know, all of us preachers, we don't, we don't do anything. <laughs> you know, we get all inflated about ourselves. Only thing I give you is what has been passed on to me. <laughs> That's all I give you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not any, anything special. I just give you what somebody passed on to me what I read, what I heard, what I was taught. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. That's the message. That's the way you hear it doesn't make any difference. It's what you hear that matters. And that's the message. That's the core of the message. And if you miss that about God's word, you have missed the very heart of it. The very heart of it. Faith comes by hearing, and the fuel of your Christian life is not faith. The fuel is God's word, which prompts faith in your life. I just don't think any of us me included, have any idea what we have our hands on. John Wesley is our theological forefather. He's not the founder of the Church of the Nazarene, but he's founder of the Methodist movement, of which the Church of the Nazarene grew out of. And John Wesley said this, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God himself has condescended to teach me that way. He didn't have to write it down. He condescended to put it down in words that human beings can understand. God himself has condescended to teach me that way. He has written it down in a book at any price. Give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. You remember teaching that, don't you, Harold, in classes? Wesley called himself a man of one book. Now, Wesley was unbelievably learned. And does that mean he never read a science book? No, it doesn't mean that. But it meant that this book had the final authority in his life. Let me be a man of one book. Here in, in his presence, I open it to find the way to heaven. Huh. 
So friends, um, an absolutely invaluable step, a mandatory step, is it the first step? I don't know. I don't know. Is it the most important step? I, I don't really know. I'm just saying that if you're going to grow as a Christian, you've got to step into the truth of God's Word. And you've got to accept it for what it is. Final authority in your life. Final authority in your life. That's tough. Because we all like to be Lord of our own lives. The fuel of our lives, Christian lives, is not faith. The fuel of our lives is God's word, which, as we hear, gives us faith. So my challenge to you is, is do you have a regular, consistent interaction with God's word? Well, what's that mean? I, I'm not going to define it. I, I'm not going to reduce it by defining it. Well, that means this. Well, then that reduces it. As soon as you define something, it reduces it. Well, it means that you have to, every day, 15 minutes, you have to do your devotions. Well, how silly is that? Is devotions part of it? Of course it is. But to reduce it to 15 minutes a day, come on, friends. A regular, consistent interaction with God's word. So I'm, I'm at work and a situation happens at work and I have to make a decision on that. Do I allow God's word to interact with that decision? Or in that moment is the final authority me? Ha, have you ever been like me? I, I'll be, this happens all the time with me. And I've been on the way 27 years. And I, it just seems like all the time it'll happen. I'll deal with a problem for three or four hours and I'll think I have not stopped to pray about this. So who's the final authority for me? At least in those three or four hours. It was me. It was me trying to figure out my way to figure it out. And the only thing you have to do is stop and say, God, I just need you to lead and to guide me through this decision. Boom. You don't have to, don't have to get to your knees. You don't have to pray a big long-winded prayer. You just got to acknowledge that you need him in this. So do you have a regular, consistent interaction with God's Word? If you don't, you will shrivel up and die as a Christian. And that's as honest as I can be. And, and statements like that don't build churches. But that's as true as it possibly can be. I, I've, as a baby Christian... I've got to take out my, God, my stinking thinking and I've got to substitute it with godly thinking and there's only one way that happens. And as our servers come to the table, you miss the core of the message of 66 books if you miss that Jesus died for you was buried and rose again and then appeared to Cephas and the other 12 that's the core there's a whole lot of things that blossom out of that but if you miss that part of it you miss the core you 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 miss the core
So that's one of the reasons every single Sunday we just we finish at the table. Because that's this is the core. I didn't I didn't preach about Jesus' death today. I didn't try to explain that to you, but it's still the core. It's the core of what all 66 books point to. It's the focus. It all comes to a central point of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you missed that, you missed it all. I don't care if, if, if you, you see this part and you obey the parents' verses and all that. If you missed the focus, you've missed it all. You missed it all. So we finish, we finish at the cross, which is the central focus of the message. Father... I've done my best today to try to prompt us, if we don't already, to have a consistent interaction with your word. And God, I'm not going to define that for these people because when I define it, I'll reduce it. All these people have to work that out on their own. So I pray that this preached word today has lodged in the hearts of some and they'll make that decision to discipline themselves to have a consistent interaction with your word to make it the final authority on all matters of faith and that that's tough decision Lord because it goes against the world and the wisdom of the world but help us know that we live by faith. We can't understand it all. We can't understand how, how you inspired all this. We can't understand all of that. But you've asked us to take some things by faith. And you've said it's childlike faith. You said unless you become a little child and accept some things by faith, that we'll never see the kingdom of God. And so God, by faith, I again today, I, I, I accept it again today. And may I never, ever preach my own opinion. May I only preach what you have revealed to us through your word. And more importantly than preaching it, would you let me live it out? Would you let me be the husband that your word says I should be and the father that your word says should be? May it indeed be the final authority in my life, just not something that sounds good to preach. Help me and help the rest of us follow through. In Jesus' name, amen. Our tables are open. Our altars are open. You spend these next few minutes as you see fit.